do something a little bit different. Usually we go into worship again, but we're going to jump right into the Word. And we're going to be finishing up Ephesians this morning. Yeah, we... Are you happy that we're finishing? Or are you like, I'm just... That you like the book? <laughs> you like the book? Both? Both. Um, we started Ephesians uh, about March, March of 2020, and went back and looked at it yesterday. And uh, it's been an incredible journey. Many of you have shared with me how your life has literally been transformed. Your walk as you have um, put on the full armor, hopefully you put on the full armor, uh, really you've built, you know, you've developed some of your relationships. We looked at husbands and wives and parents and kids, you know, the whole thing. Even the first part of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, the, the powerful doctrinal truths that are true about us as believers. So, so let's pray and we're going, to, uh, we're going to wrap up Ephesians this morning. So Father, thank you for you. Thank you for, again for another day of life and the privilege to gather as a church family, we thank you for our journey through the book of Ephesians uh, this last year or so. And, and now as we wrap it up, uh, I'm reminded that you say we're, we're not just to be hearers, but we're to be doers. And as we kind of summarize and review a little bit, I pray that you would speak to every person individually about what they're to do with Ephesians. And Lord, even remind us that it's not a one-off, that simply because we went through it that we're done and we can call it good. No, for some of us, we're going to camp on Ephesians for years and years and years. Um, Whatever it is, again, Father, you know us, you know each one. So as only you can do through the spirit of truth, uh, via your word of truth, um, change us, transform us this morning. We love you, we love your word, and uh, commit this time to you in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen. All right. So Ephesians, right? Apostle Paul writes to the believers in the city of Ephesus, surrounding regions, right? And and it's important because it's a letter, and it's a letter to believers, to the saints. And really one way to summarize it, it's a letter to the saints and how to live saintly, right? And so right off the bat, uh, you know, sometimes we go, oh, can you give me something practical? Well, I can't think of a more practical book as a whole than the book of Ephesians, right? If you're a saint, you're a believer, and you want to understand what it is to live a life that glorifies God every day, well, like I said, you can camp on Ephesians over and over and over. And so it's been our privilege and joy uh, to do that. Uh, The last portion, uh, the last verses that we'll read together uh, from the book are Ephesians 6, 21 to 24, and it says this, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Now, it's interesting, this word, I would love to hear how you guys pronounce this, right? That's kind of the joy, right? You're like, Tychicus? Tychicus? <laughs> right? Right? Because right? right away, we're, we're doing it phonetically through English, right? And, and that is actually pronounced Tuhikas. How many of you knew that? Bonus for the day, right? To he costs. I'm like, I thought it was Tychicus this whole time. I was calling the guy Tychicus, right? How many of you have ever had someone like, like really mess up your name, but you didn't say anything? The, right? You had this whole conversation, and they kept saying your name wrong the whole time, and you're like, ah, I don't think I want to correct them. It's fine. I know what they mean. Well, this is to he costs, right? So to he costs, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith, 
from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now what's interesting, he ends, and, and sometimes what's interesting when you, when, you, when you read a letter in the Bible, right, you'll see the beginning that they call the salutation or the greeting, and then the ending, right? They kind of they wrap it up. And usually, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I just skip those, right? Because that's less, isn't that just like the intro and the conclusion? Like, why, why are those two important, right? But what's interesting here is in verse 23, it says, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So peace and grace, he ends the letter with peace and grace, but some of you may remember, those with really good memories, he started the letter with the same words, right? Ephesians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the kind of the biblical principles when you're studying the Bible and reading through, it, if things are repeated, it's important to take note that, that they're repeated because they're repeated for a reason, right? So he starts Ephesians with grace and peace, and then he ends it the same words, peace and grace, right? And, and I was thinking through our journey, when we first started uh, studying the book, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we looked at what is biblical grace, what is biblical peace, and kind of like broad sense, right? And what's interesting for him, the Apostle Paul, to end with peace and grace, now that we know what's in the letter, you find that peace and grace were thematic throughout the entire, they were woven throughout the entire letter. And we're going to look at that this morning, because the question for you and I, having spent a year plus having the Apostle Paul start with grace and peace and end with peace and grace, the question is, a year and what, three months later, how are you doing with grace and peace? How are you doing, especially in these turbulent times? I've read some uh, statistics online about uh, just how really devastating uh, a toll the, the pandemic and the isolation and the quarantine and the death and sickness, the toll that it's taken on people emotionally, mentally, spiritually, right? The statistics are off the charts, you know? And, and I thought of peace and grace. Peace and grace. What a great foundation even for the last year, but even moving forward. Still into the unknown. So just, just a little checkup this morning. How are you doing when it comes to peace and grace this morning, right? The Apostle Paul started six chapters later, a year plus for us later, he ends with peace and grace, desiring peace and grace for us, for us, right? And so I thought, well, well let's, let's take a look at what these two words mean. Uh, here's a wonderful uh, sort of description. I uh, wasn't sure who the author was, but it says this, grace is the fountain out of which peace is the stream. Because we have grace from God, we have peace with God and can daily experience the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. So they are inseparable. Grace and peace are linked, right? And so again, let's, if we get a little more specific, as you sit here, as you're at home, are you at peace with God? 
And then think about the last week, and then maybe all the way back to the last year. We had a, a leads meeting, a, a ministry leadership meeting yesterday, and we broke into small groups. And I said, share in your small group. What did God teach you? What did God teach you? What was your journey like in the last year? Right? So as you sit here this morning, fundamentally, are you at peace with God? And then think about the last 24 hours, the last seven days. Have you been living in the peace of God? Have you been experiencing, not that life is a bed of roses, not that you haven't experienced some great trials in the last week, but even through those trials, were you walking through them with the peace of God? Just kind of of self-reflection, little self-evaluation, right? And so... We're going to look at grace in, in, in kind of a broad terms again, right? Because we saw initially that there's really, there's common grace, which is God's care for his entire creation, right? And then there's saving grace, and then there's what we call sanctifying grace, okay? And, and it's really interesting because most of us, when we think of grace, tend to limit it to salvation. Well, it's God's unmerited favor. We're saved by grace through faith. But how many of us as believers... Today, this morning, said, God, I need your grace. I need your grace today, right? It's kind of like, I, I, I think it's like the full armor of God when we were going through that. And people were like, I didn't realize I needed to put on the full armor every day, right? And you became suddenly aware, and some of you put that into your, your discipline in the morning. I'm, I'm armoring up. Well, in the same way, how many of us this morning said, God, I need your grace Because, again, as we're kind of usually taught in the church, grace is a salvation thing. So we get saved by grace. And then we move into following Jesus with our best efforts. Right? And we have good intentions. And we kind of get tied up in knots because we're not asking and living in grace. Because grace is for the unsaved, isn't it? I'm saved. Why do I still need grace? Very important. Very important that we understand biblical grace. Here's a definition. Grace in simple terms is God's unmerited favor and supernatural enablement and empowerment for salvation and for daily sanctification, right? So it's unmerited favor, but it's also supernatural enablement. Day to day, every rest of this day, you need God's grace. You need God's grace. John MacArthur says this. It means a favor bestowed. It means a generous benefit freely given. The sense of it in the New Testament is that it means a favor bestowed by God through his power to transform a person's life starting at salvation and going on from there. It, grace, your relationship to grace, my relationship and need for grace is just starts at salvation. Again, many of us receive salvation by grace and then we march off to follow Jesus in our own best efforts and intentions. And we lose our joy and it becomes duty and legalism and rule following because we lost the sense of grace. We lost the sense of grace, right? So we saw in Ephesians, uh, as far as saving grace, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, very familiar, popular passage. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this, not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. How many of you celebrate the fact that you have been saved by grace and not works? Right? Woo! I got to tell you. Now, as much as we celebrate that, it's also challenging because many of us are performance and works driven. 
And this idea of a free gift and just receive it by faith, hmm, I don't know if I like that. And we're going to talk about that a little later. Why do we struggle with just receiving this gift? Paid and bought by the blood of Jesus. And it's a free gift. That's grace, right? Unmerited. Isn't that? Some of us have a hard time with the unmerited. Because we live in what? A merit society. No free lunch. And we cut down on certain people maybe who are getting freebies. Right? Well, the truth is, we all receive something for free. Salvation. We, we just had to receive it. Right? And, and so, oh, I got to do something to earn it. I got I to gotta, I gotta make it feel like, I, no. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. What you got to do is come to the end of yourself and, and admit, I'm done or undone. I just got to receive it. I just got to receive it. It's unmerited. Unmerited. Everyone say unmerited. Right? Turn to the person next to you or around you and just turn and say unmerited. Woo! You say that and some of you are like, mm, really? Really? But I got good grades and I made the football team and I, and I, and I, I just got to feel like I got to earn something. It, there's a discomfort. But that's a great discomfort because now you're understanding grace. Now you're understanding grace. If you're uncomfortable with losing, earning anything, that's God's beginning to really even speak to your heart more about grace, just overwhelming grace, right? So Romans 5, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, right? And we saw this, we spent time on this. To be justified, justification is a legal declaration. This is where God puts on his judge hat. And when you put your faith in Jesus and you receive salvation by grace, the judge says, not guilty, fully righteous. That's a legal declaration. So if you have put your faith in Jesus, God the judge, and many of us are used to looking at God as the judge, right? The judge says, very not guilty, fully righteous. One and done legal declaration. Amen? You see, some of us forget that. I mean, I said that to Barry, and Barry just started. Isn't it good? But see, we get weighed down by, by life and circumstances and our failures and everything, and, and we, we even might slide back into more works, and I'm not good, and I keep failing. But to be reminded that there's a legal declaration on file, wherever it is in the big courthouse in the sky, right? Barry, Barry, Barry. Oh, Barry, yeah. You were declared fully, you know, fully righteous. You're, you're fine. That's peace with God. And I got to tell you, uh, working with uh, people from a lot of different backgrounds and over the last year or so, how people have processed the pandemic and all the challenges that came personally and as a state and even within families, a lot of it went right back to, are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with God? Meaning facing death and fear of death and the unknown and everything like that. I got to tell you, when you're at peace with God, it radically changes all of that. 
because we have hope. We have confidence. The Bible, remember, hope in the Bible is confidence. Like if you have been justified by faith, Barry, you know what? The Bible says your name is written in the book of life. And no matter what happens today, if it's your day to meet Jesus, you're, you're at peace with him because you're going to meet Jesus. Right? Hallelujah, right? The elevator's going up. <laughs> right? You don't have to wonder which way the, which way the elevator is going to go, right? That's peace with God. That's a, I mean, that's fundamental, most, probably the most important human question there is. Am I at peace with God? And the Bible says you can have peace with God by grace, through faith. Amen? That's, that's what changes everything. And that, you know, Apostle Paul starts with grace, ends with grace. He wants us to know grace and peace, right? And then, and then the crazy thing is, when you have peace with God, it trickles out into our relationships with others. Now we can have peace with others. And if you remember in Ephesians 2.14, he says, he's talking about Jesus, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Who is he talking about? Remember we spent time with this, the Jews and the Gentiles who up until this time wanted nothing to do with each other. And we talked about how radical it is that through Jesus in a church like this, Jews and Gentiles would be mixing. We've, we've, we minimize that. We don't understand that. We got a little bit of it, uh, and I was talking with people, we got a little bit of this in the um, election cycle. When the church and everything, issues came in from the culture, and the church was being very much divided along political, racial lines. There was a lot of division during that time that I was aware of, not in this church, but in the church in general. People were sharing with me what was going on. And I, it just made me think of this passage, that we're united in Christ. And that he brought the Jews and the Gentiles together as one. And if he could do that for them, I, I, I'm, I have confidence he could do it for us if we stay focused. Amen? Right? So we have peace with God, which goes out into the peace of God with, with each other. With each other, right? Amazing. And then we saw this phrase, in Christ. You have peace with God. Now you're positionally put in Christ and all these blessings, right? Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every. Everyone say every. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every. If you're a believer, you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's not reserved for the A-team, whatever A-team you think. You don't have to like, gosh, you know, they got more spiritual blessings than me. No. Who has received every spiritual blessing? If you're a believer, do this and do this. If you're a believer, you have received every spiritual blessing there is in Christ. That's like the mega lottery. That's like Powerball exponential. Right? If I could just win the lottery, oh, it would change my life. If I could just win that. You know, when you put your faith in Jesus, you won the lottery. The spiritual lottery. You have every spiritual blessing. Right? What did we see? You have redemption. You have an inheritance. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have access to the Father with confidence. Right? It's crazy. It's crazy. But the question is, are you living that? Are you living in the, are you standing in grace and are you living in peace with God and peace of God? Like right now, like when you leave here, 
What is going to be the basis for how you're going to deal with whatever comes your way before you put your head down on your pillow tonight? How are you going to deal with it? Are you going to leave here like, okay, God's grace. I'm at peace with God. No matter what happens, I got peace with God. A lot of the anxieties and a lot of the fears we carry, honestly, fear of death, fear of the unknown. When you know God and you're at peace with God and you understand his nature, you understand your father on Father's Day is still in charge. Amen? Your father is still in charge. Nothing happens outside of his permissive will. We may not understand it. We might not even like it. But praise God that we know he's good. And all the time, okay. And he's still in charge. And he's our father. He's our father, right? So question, how, are you living that? Have you received the gift that enables you to call him father and have peace with father, right? And then this idea of sanctifying grace, because chapters 1, 2, and 3 in Ephesians, all these incredible doctrinal truths, talking about all these blessings, and he, we went through that. In 4, 5, and 6, he says, okay, now that you know what you own, what is in your spiritual bank account, here's what you do with it, right? Ephesians 4, 1 says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, right? Again, he says, hey, okay, here's everything that's true about you doctrinally. Now, what I want you to do is live it out daily, okay? When he says manner worthy, again, I've shared with you before, it's a scale, and the scale should balance your beliefs, your behavior, your creed should match your conduct, so one, two, and three was creed, beliefs. Four, five, and six is, okay, here's what you do with it. Here's what you do with it, right? In verses 23 and 24, we're supposed to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, put on a new self. Ephesians 5.1, we're to walk in love. Ephesians 5.8, we're to walk as children of light. 6.10, we're to put on the full armor, right? 6.18, we're to pray at all times. Very practical. Very practical things. But then you're like, well, how are we supposed to do that? That's a lot of stuff, right? That just makes me tired just thinking of it. Well, you have to go back to grace. That you have to remember grace wasn't just for your salvation. That grace is God's supernatural enabling, 24-7, 365. And he tells us how he does it. Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the We've seen this before. We studied it quite a bit. To be filled is to be controlled. That's why he's talking about, he uses the illustration with drunk with wine, right? You drink wine, da, 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 you become under the influence of it, right? Liquid courage, right? But what he's saying is, you know what? Be filled, be, it's actually, it's, it's a present tense, be ye being filled. So be ye being filled, be ye being controlled, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's God's grace. That's how you do this. Right? We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, but don't grieve the Holy Spirit. If, you, if you're living in sin, if you've if you got sin issues, you can't, that's, you've grieved the Holy Spirit, and that's going to impact. You have to take care of that through confession. Warren Wiersbe says this, to live by God's grace means to depend on him to enable us. We aren't striving in our own power to do something for him. Rather, he's working in and through us to accomplish the good pleasure of his will. It's the difference between legalism and life. You got to get this. 
a lot of well-meaning believers, you've lost your joy and now it's rule and checking boxes and do this and don't do this because you're trying to do something for him. You're living a for him life rather than him through me life. Radical difference in freedom and joy. Radical difference. Okay, are you living for him or are you allowing him to live through you? That's radical. That's a grace moment. That's a Holy Spirit moment. We're like, you know how it begins? You say, I can't. How many of you have ever had an issue in your life brought to your knees or whatever in prayer with someone? How many of you have ever had a, I can't do this, Lord? Anyone? Like, I can't. And what happens after you actually honestly mean that? Suddenly he's like, thank you. Because I can Anyone ever have have the Holy Spirit come and say, thank you? Move out of the way. Let me. That's the whole point. That's how we live our life. But many of us with the best of intentions, and maybe we were taught and we picked it up and it kind of sent us down the, the duty route. We're trying to live for him rather than him through us. Okay? You, you got you to gotta meditate on it. You got to think about that. Let's chew on that. Right? Philippians 2.12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more absence, work out your own salvation. So we have to make choices. We have to be disciplined. We have to choose obedience. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not work for, it's work it out. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his. Let me ask you, did we lose it? How many of you wanted to come today? Same people who just raised your hand. How many of you at a certain point in your life would not have wanted to come today and not want anything to do with church or the Bible or God? Okay. Who changed that will? So if you're here and you wanted to be here, you should put a smile on your face because that's testimony that God did something in you. Supernatural. See, we gloss over that. I'm like, come on. Like, if you're like, is God alive? Well, okay, do you want to be at church? Yeah, okay, God's alive. Because <laughs> honestly, how many of you at some point in your life, this would be the last place you would be on a bright, sunny day in Ojai? You'd be sleeping in, you'd be at the beach, you'd be at Cafe Emporium, you'd be a lot of other places, but church and the Bible, hearing a Bible message is the last thing that you would ever desire. Anyone honest enough to admit that that was you? And now you're here. How did that happen? Well, according to Philippians 2, 12 and 13, God worked in you both to will and to do. So not only did you want to come, he enabled you to get in your car and come. That's a miracle. I mean, I got to tell you, I tell the leaders all the time for me, and and I'm not exaggerating. The fact that one person shows up here on a Sunday, I celebrate. Because it's a movement of God. I mean, it's not like we're selling snow cones or you know, there's a, there's a big celebrity hook to get you to come every Sunday. The fact that you want to be here, I just celebrate that. That's a movement of the Holy Spirit all the time. That reminds me that God is alive and well in Ojai. That people still want to come to church and hear the Bible and worship God. That, that, that reminds me that God is still moving in lives in Ojai. This is not anything I take lightly. Right? It, it, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's a miracle. So how do we, if we haven't been standing in grace, walking in grace, if we kind of got to the, into the more over time, I'm living for him and I got to go to the Bible study because it's for him and I got to serve because it's for him. 
how do we break out of the for him? And maybe the best intentions of me, me, me working hard, right? How do we break out of that? Well, I thought of a passage we looked at in 2 Corinthians 12. Remember when the Apostle Paul had a thorn? The Apostle Paul had a thorn. Now, we don't know what it is. There's a lot of conjecture about it. But we do know that the word thorn that they're talking about isn't a rose thorn. The word thorn means a railroad spike. It was this big. And it was being tormented by something. A lot of conjecture, you know, false teachers, uh, whatever, an illness. There's a lot of conjecture about what the thorn was. But it was big, and it was not going away. Okay, so what does it say in 2 Corinthians 12? So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was giving me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Man, as a church, you go, amen. But then you're like, but that's not our culture. This is so antithetical, so in opposite to our culture. Look what he says in verse 10. Keep that up. It says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Any amens to that? How many of you, when, you are, when, you're, in, when you're weak, when you're being insulted and hardships, how many of you do like Paul did in the, earlier in the passage and pray that it goes away? Lord, take this, take this, take this. So we're like Paul, something has happened. Initially, he responds like we do. Lord, please, please, right? Take this away, right? You might, having a, you might be right now having a please take this away thorn moment as you sit here. Maybe the last year for you was a thorn moment. I don't know. But if you're like the Apostle Paul and if you're like me, my initial reaction is, uh, Father, Uncle, okay, I give up, right? Can you take this away? We want, it, we want it away, right? But Father had another plan. Look what he says in verse 12, 8, 9. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So God makes a provision, his grace, with a promise. It's sufficient. It's sufficient. Right? And it's interesting in the, in the original language, it says, hey, sufficient for you, my grace. Sufficient for you, my grace. So maybe you're going through something here. Maybe you're going through something at home. And the message to you is, hey, sufficient for you is grace. Right? And that word sufficient means enough in quality and quantity to meet every need in every situation. Amen? Enough in quality and quantity to meet all needs of every situation. Sufficient for you, God's grace. Amen? I mean, okay, so, so we go, okay, that's so, so good, but how do I, it sounds really good, right? In fact, in the New Living Translation, he says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. 
See, his power works best in our weakness, but we're trained to be strong, to be independent, to not depend on mommy and daddy. We're trained to not be weak, especially even in the church. It, I, and it, I just, I've, I've always wondered when I ask, you know, or we ask in small groups, not just my group, but in general, 30 years of doing this, does anyone have any prayer requests? I know that there's a deep fear and anxiety to ask for a prayer request that might make you look weak because you're afraid of what they're going to think about you. But God's grace is made perfect in our weakness, isn't it? And he puts us into the body of Christ to encourage one another in our weaknesses. And yet when we ask for a prayer request, we all are scared to share our weaknesses. But what's great is I'll, I'll lift up Barry and share his weaknesses does anyone have any requests? Yeah, Barry's really struggling. I'm like, okay, I'll pray for Barry. But you're good. I'm good. But just pray for Barry. You know, it, we, we deflect. We deflect. Now, that was just an example. So if you want to pray for Barry, great. But I don't know what he's going through. So I just, no confidence was broken. So we all need prayer. But why is it? Why is it? Think about it. Anyone prayer requests? Hmm, how can I say this so I don't look too bad? Well, you know, let's see. The Lord has been working on me in a certain area, and I am struggling, so can you please pray for me? Thank you. We all do it. Why can't you just say, you know what? I'm weak. I'm, I'm, I'm weak in the area of lust. I'm weak in the area of my temper. I'm weak in the area of this. Can you guys just pray for me? I'm weak right now. I'm weak in the area of finances. This is my weakness. Why can't we just do that with brothers and sisters in Christ who love us and care about us and will genuinely pray for our weaknesses? Where, where does that come from, right? Where does that come from? And a lot of it has to do from what we were raised with, again, Weaknesses, failure. Weaknesses, you know, it's such a hard thing in our culture to admit it, to live there. Not only are we supposed to admit it, but we're supposed to live there. Because God says, my power works best in weakness. How many of you want God's power to be working best in your life? Careful. Because according to this, it works best in weakness which means you and I need to admit and live in our weakness, like not, not use our weakness to excuse sin, but we need to live daily confessing and our dependence. Now that word dependence is tough too, because we are raised to be independent. We are raised to get a job, be self-sufficient financially. Blah, blah, blah. We're raised to move out from mom and dad. And this verse crosses our wires because in order to receive God's grace, we got to keep coming back to father. So it's kind of strange because we receive God's grace and we kind of develop this mentality that now over time I have to grow up as a Christian and be independent of father when it's the exact opposite. The more you mature as a believer, the more you're on your knees in dependence as a believer. That's the twist. And that's why we bring in these cultural values and now we slide into working for him. 
rather than him working in and through me, which requires absolute confession and admission of dependence and weakness. This is freedom and joy, spirit-filled, fruit of the spirit. This is a lot of duty and drudgery and rule-keeping and check, checking the boxes, score-keeping, because you're working for him, Right? Because you got to be strong. Because you should be past this. Because how can you still be struggling in this area? You're weak. You're weak. It's tough. It's tough, right? David Guzik says this. We really don't believe God's grace is sufficient until we believe we are insufficient. For many of us, especially in American culture, this is a huge obstacle. We are the people who idolize the self-made man or woman. And want to rely on ourselves, self-reliance, biggie, self-sufficiency, biggie. But we can't receive God's strength until we know our weakness. We can't receive the sufficiency of God's grace until we own or know our own insufficiency. But weren't we raised to get good grades and a good job and compete with the Jones and live in the good neighborhood and be strong and independent and Make our mark, and you're telling me it's the exact opposite in order to receive God's grace and his power? I got to go the other way? Yeah. And you know what, you know what you find in the other way? Freedom. You find freedom. You find joy. You find genuine relationships where you're sharing genuine life. Yeah. Yeah. And so... How do we, how can we begin to do this? Well, you have to spend time with the Lord. Say, Lord, am I, how am I doing with you in the area of confessing and admitting weakness and dependency? Lord, have I slid into the for you rather than the you in and through me? See, those are, those are questions that may take some time and some help from others. Okay. But here's a, here's a great truth. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 in the New Living says this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our what? For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that beautiful that right now Jesus understands all your weaknesses? How many of you find that comforting? See, because I was raised not to show weakness, to admit weakness, to get over weakness, and suddenly the high priest, my Lord and Savior, understands my weakness. Because, hey, I get it. I get it. Right? And it says this, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find what? Grace. He's talking to believers. You and I will come to the throne of grace and find grace to help us when we need it most. Now that word help, I love the word help because there's a word picture is it's someone crying out for help and someone immediately coming running to render aid. So when it says to find grace to help us, we come to the throne of grace, we cry out and God is willing and he's, he's on his way with his grace. I mean, that's the privilege we have. It says when we need it most. And I love that word help also 
because you find it in Acts 27, 17. I've shared this with you before. Uh, the Apostle Paul is describing uh, a ship, one of the big ships that's in a storm. And the crew is freaking out. And they think that the ship is going to completely come apart. So what they do is they tie ropes, they pass ropes under the hull of the ship. And they fasten it up to hold the ship together. That's a nautical term called frapping. F-R-A-P-P-I-N-G. It's a nautical term where they would wrap the ship and they would frap it to hold it together in a storm. That's the same word when you, you and I come to the throne of grace for help. Sometimes what God does in his grace is he wraps his arm around you in the storm. When you think it's all coming apart. And sometimes in God's grace, he just says, you know what? Come here. I'm just going to hold it. I'm going to hold you. And I'm going to let you know that I'm still in control. I'm still God. I'm still on the throne. Even in this storm, I'm going to hold you together in my grace. Because my grace is sufficient for you and your weakness. See, for some of us, maybe this morning... You're going through the storm. Maybe the last year has been a storm and you're feeling still like it might come apart. And this morning, God is saying, you know what? My grace is sufficient. In your weakness, that's where my grace is best found and manifested. So come to the throne of grace this morning, my children. If you've been caught up in working for him, you admit, you say, Father, I'm weak. I feel like it's all coming apart in this storm. Father, I just, I give up and I want you to work in and through me. Power of your Holy Spirit and by your grace, I receive it. I admit I need it. I need it. I depend on you. That's where you're going to find Father's arms. Just hugging you. Just hugging you. I mean, there's been times in my life when I've gone through it, and I don't need someone to even give me a verse. I don't need someone to, to tell me it's going to be okay. I don't need someone to explain anything. You know what, you, what I want in those times is someone just to do this. Just give me a big hug and say, it's going to be okay. That's it. Don't lecture me. Just care about me, just love me, just give me the grace to even tell you that things are falling apart in my mind. And can you just, can you just do this for as long as it takes so that I can be reminded that even in the storm, someone's there. And that even in my weakness, God's grace is sufficient. That's that's what I believe many in the church just need. We need to get to the place of freedom, even with relationships, and say, hey, you know what? Can you pray for me? Yeah, what's going on? I'm, I'm just feeling like I'm blowing it. I'm feeling like I'm weak again. I keep, I, I keep, I've been working on this area, and I just keep, and I'm just weak. I just, see, that's when God's grace works even through a brother and sister, not to condemn you, but to genuinely love you and pray for you and counsel you. That's God's grace coming through you, Okay? And so, this morning, before we take communion, I want to just give you an opportunity. Do you have peace with God? Have you received what we call salvation grace? Have you received God's 
free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus, believing that Jesus crucified, he died, he rose from the dead. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. By faith, you are justified. Legal declaration, you have peace with God. And now you enter this journey of walking with the peace of God. I want to encourage you this morning. Receive that gift of grace at the salvation level. And then for you believers here at home, maybe, maybe today you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even, I thought, I didn't even know I needed God's grace. I thought that was just for people getting saved. Oh my gosh, you mean, you mean, I can, I can come to the Father's throne and ask him for help and then receive it because it says I'll receive it and then go away and then something happens two minutes later. You mean I can go back to Father two minutes later and ask again? Yeah. And then you leave again and you're like, oh man, Father, I blew it. I just, I knew, I, can I go back again, Barry? Yes, I can. It's limitless. God's grace is limitless. Just keep going back to the throne. Just keep going. He's not going to get tired. Barry, again, 10 times? One day? No. You know what he's going to do? Barry, yes. Come, come back here, Barry. How much you need it again? Come here. I'm so glad. Come here. He's not pointing a finger. He's doing this. Every time you come to the throne of grace and weakness, he does this. Frapping. He just says, come here. What? Come here. Come here, Barry. You need a hug. You need a, we need to hug it out. Come, come, Barry, come here. Come back here. Come here. You need to hug it out. Let me hug you out again, Barry. Right? Let, me, let me hug it out. But our culture says, oh, I can't go back. Oh, he's going, oh, you again? What's wrong with you? I thought we dealt with this when you were 16, Barry. We still, yeah, and I don't want to guess your age, but you know, you know, we get this condemnation. But Romans 8 says there's therefore now no condemnation. Who's accusing you? The devil. Who's creating all these lies and hesitations to go to the throne of grace? The devil. Because that's the last place he wants. He wants you to be bound up. He wants you to be caught up in the four and living with guilt and condemnation and lies and bondage that you heap on yourself. Father says, come here. Let's hug it out again. Let me frap you. What do you, you need more grace? Come here, bear. I'll give you more grace. Because Hebrews 14 has no, there's no quantity limit. Come to the throne of grace, 24, 7, 365. As much as you need it. I love that. My biggest challenge is that I was raised to be strong, independent, and not need, and not show weakness, and not ask for help, let alone directions when I'm driving with my wife. You know what I mean? Can't even ask, can't even, who won't you ask for directions? No. Why? Pride, ego. Let's just be honest. It's pride and ego. Why do we have a hard time going to the throne of grace? Pride and ego. Why do you have a hard time sharing prayer requests, even with brothers and sisters that believe us? Pride and ego. So this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity here and at home. Come to the throne of grace. You need to have peace with God, receive the grace of salvation. If you need to come to the throne of grace because you feel like it's all coming apart, 
It says, if you come this morning, you'll find help, mercy, help, grace in your time of need. Wherever you are, take advantage of this opportunity to receive God's grace. Let's pray.